Everyone wants perfection. Aspiring chefs hunger for recognition by Michelin. High school violinists dream of performing in Vienna. But brilliance in any field takes time, and the road is paved with mistakes. Skilled chefs start out cooking some bad dishes, and those who play at the Vienna State Opera hit a lot of wrong notes before they arrive. All skills have learning curves, including the skill of walking with God. If you long to deepen the skill of living by faith in the God who saved you, then stay tuned because for the next few weeks, Kent, Nathan, and Vicky will look at a giant of the faith, Abraham, who will help us to learn how to grow our faith by watching his learning curve. And that discussion starts now. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the book of Genesis. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Genesis chapter 12 as we join their discussion. Nathan, Vicki, I think you would agree that Every discipline has their heroes. They have individuals whose achievements personify excellence and greatness in that field. H help me identify some of them. Let's just think of a field and a person who symbolizes distinction, a star, if you will. I can think of one off the top of my, my head because I was thinking about him the other day, Richard Harris, who I don't know a lot about because he was a little before my time, but I heard that he was in... Oh, I'm going to make up the play. I think it was the play, The King and I. And he got to the final scene, and he has this big number in it. And he forgot the words to his song. Oh. And he's live <laughs> on Broadway, and he could not remember the lyrics. And the number one rule of being on stage is you can't let the audience be uncomfortable. Right. And he, he didn't know what to do. I mean, sure. they didn't know if they should run out. It was obvious. I didn't know if they should run out and like show him the word. They didn't know what to do. But what he did is he said to the audience, I have forgotten the words, but you know them. So sing them with me. And the audience <laughs> sang the song. Whoa. And he ended the play with a standing, roaring ovation. Hmm. <laughs> and, and I've learned from that. I yeah. think about that all the time because he handled that with great grace. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a star. Yep. Yeah. You think, uh, so to steal off of your theater idea, you think in the world of literature, William Shakespeare or Edmund Spencer or C.S. Lewis, uh, just the ability to take a idea and phrase it in such a way that it burrows its way into your imagination and you can't forget it no matter how hard you try. Yeah. You think about the world of golf. You remember when Tiger Woods did that commercial where he had his golf club and he was just tap, 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 oh, yeah. tap tapping yeah. the ball? He did that as a little boy and they didn't mean to make that commercial. They just saw him standing there the producers of commercials saw him standing there one day doing that, and they went, yo, let's make a commercial out of that. <laughs> and he did pretty well on the course, too, right? Oh, yes, he did. I mean, in the day, 
uh, he never lost. I mean, he just never lost. He defined greatness in that field. Yeah, I know one of the trustees for my church said when he came back, uh, I think this last year, I don't follow golf, uh, but he said, yeah, the, the ratings were through the roof because he came back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I think of people and innovation, love them or hate them, I think of Elon Musk. If you think of how now almost every car, major car manufacturer is heading towards electric power in their cars. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was only a few years ago they said it could not be done. Everyone said it couldn't be done until he did it. And then, of course, there's SpaceX, and you just take uh, fly rockets off to the moon and, and have them land vertically and you reuse them. I mean, who would have believed that's possible? Well, and now he's, he's gambled, what is it, $1.5 billion on Bitcoin? He's a risk taker. He's a risk taker. <laughs> he's a risk taker. I'm not sure I would do that. But, um, but at least, uh, yeah, he's, he's a winner. Every field has someone who really exemplifies excellence and someone we can look up to. And, and I think that's also true in the Christian faith. If we were going to try and rank some of the great heroes of the faith, certainly I think Abraham would have to be among them. Wouldn't you agree? Well, you have to because the Bible says so. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you say he's known for? Abraham believed God and God credited to him as righteousness. He believed uh, that his people would inherit the land. He believed that God would give him a child that would turn into a great nation, even when he was old and as good as dead. <laughs> uh, God still uh, gave him uh, gave him this child, and he believed that God would. I'm glad we're studying this because I sometimes beat myself up for not having enough faith. Continue. I like this. You know, we talk about faith, but faith, it's harder to live than it is to say. I mean, it's just... It's not easy. It's, it's not. It's not easy. I mean, when you think of Hebrews 11, defining faith as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, that's hard. I mean, frankly, I I have problems having faith in what I can see. I don't know if you have a fear of heights like I do, which is kind of odd seeing, I guess, as I'm six foot six to be afraid of heights. (laughs) But um, when I'm at the edge of a building that has a nice stout railing, I don't like to stand next to it. I'm not sure I want to put my faith in the engineer. I mean, why bother testing that? Or, you know, when I hear of offices having um, trust building exercises for their teams. You've heard of that famous one, the trust fall, I'm sure? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been part of one? Uh, I've done that as a teenager in like youth groups. So how did that go? Most of the time it was good. There was one time they were going to pretend to not catch me and then catch me at the last second. <clears throat> and they did not catch me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I guess they weren't friends or coworkers. Sorry, Nathan. Um, well, they're teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> Faith in an invisible God. I mean, that's, that's hard to do. Well, it's not just because he's invisible. It's because we think, I'm speaking for myself, we think he should act in a certain way. And when he doesn't, then we think he's let us down and he might let us down in the future. Mm. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Um, He doesn't fit our paradigm. Um, Doesn't act the way we think he should. One of the passages that sets Abram apart as a giant of the faith is the passage we looked at briefly last week in the beginning of chapter 12. Nathan, would you mind reading that passage, at least verses 1 to 4 for us of Genesis chapter 12? Sure. 
The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Vicki, what's heroic about Abraham in that passage? Well, first of all, I think it's less heroic because if God just flat out says into your ear, do this, this is going to happen, I would tend to think, yes, indeed, it is going to. But he left his country, which I'm sorry, that's a big deal. I moved to Corpus Christi from Dallas once, and that was one of the biggest shifts of my whole life. So it's a big deal to leave. Mm -hmm. And back then, it wasn't like there was a gas station every 40 miles. And I mean, it's a big deal. And he walked and God said, I'm going to make a huge nation from you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And I'll bless everyone who blesses you and curse those who curse you, which, by the way, says people are going to curse you. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he went. Yeah. And uh, as we said last week, he left uh, the center of civilization to wander in the desert. To wander in the desert. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not easy. And, you know, to give it maybe a little bit more credit to Abram, what did he know about this God that suddenly spoke to him? I mean, it's true if God speaks to you directly that uh, that's helpful. But what did he know about him? I mean, uh, it wasn't long before that this is the God that destroyed the whole world. Mm. And then he came down and uh, frustrated all of mankind's attempts to build a unified civilization in, in the Tower of Babel. And now this God says, gee, I want you to wander off in the middle of nowhere. And I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. I mean, does that sound like a reasonable God? Or does that sound a little bit like a salesman trying to sell you a bill of goods? I don't know, but I'd pay attention to him on what the downside would be. <laughs> well, the downside is you find yourself in the desert with nothing. <laughs> but but to be fair, I mean, Abraham believed God. And, uh, you know, Paul makes a great deal about how the faith of Abraham is, uh, is similar to our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. As Abraham believed God, so we need to trust God for our salvation. I mean, that's why he says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As Abraham had to believe God's words in order to enjoy the life God wanted to give him, so we have to believe God's word in order to enjoy the life and the future that he has for us. Amen. It's no small thing to put our faith in Jesus Christ to say, I'm going to trust him alone for my salvation and not myself. That is a massive step, just the same as Abraham's. Yet, in this passage, chapter 12 here, I find it interesting and troubling. But sometimes it's, we find it easier to trust God for our eternity than for today or tomorrow. Sometimes, strangely enough, I think it's easier to trust God for big things than with smaller things. I think that's why the story that follows uh, is placed here for us. Because right after this wonderful story of Abram's faith, we read another story that's well, not quite so flattering. We read in chapter 12, verse 10, that there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there a while because the famine was severe. Well, that makes sense. Nothing wrong with 
on to where the food is. But as he was about to enter, verse 11, Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, Oh, honey, I know what a beautiful woman you are. But when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife. And they will kill me, but will let you live. Um, say you're my sister, so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. <laughs> so here's Abraham, who has just trusted his future to the Lord, finding himself in a situation where there is, a, well, there's a complication. The complication is uh, he's got an extraordinarily beautiful wife, uh, Nathan, I know you and I suffer from that uh, same challenge in our lives. And he was afraid for his life because, uh, well, he was afraid they might kill him to take his wife from him. So he said, I'll save myself by lying. I'll save myself by lying and we'll just tell this lie and then it'll all be made better. What he didn't do was trust the Lord. What he didn't do is... Um, rely on the Lord that he had put his faith in to help him in this immediate today situation. And it turns out that his uh, solution, uh, well, it wasn't much of a solution because we read in verse 14 that when Abram came to Egypt armed with his uh, wonderful plan, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. Uh-oh. And she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, and camels. Ooh. You know, as you know, I have traveled before COVID a great deal for Crosstalk Global. And uh, one of the places where we are training pastors to communicate God's word more effectively is in Northern India in Delhi. Well, if you go north of Delhi, you'll come to a place called Agra. And that town is uh, famous in India because uh, it's there where the Agra Fort is located. Across the river from the Agra Fort is also the Taj Mahal, so it's doubly famous. The Agra Fort is a massive place, almost like a city within walls. And it was there that the Mughal dynasty ruled for generations. And in one part, when I was there, I saw in a, they had a large courtyard. And it was fascinating because around the top level, it was on two levels, around the top levels were all kinds of small doors. Those were apartments where the Mughal king kept his uh, concubine. So they, all these women lived in all these little apartments. And once a week, they would go down on the first floor, where it was actually just a large grassed area, and they would hold a bazaar. They would sell goods to one another. And, and the king stood up top and looked down at the women and what they were doing and would decide which one he wanted that night. And he would just send word, and they were picked, and they had no choice. When I, when I was in Agra Fort, I thought of this passage right here. Pharaoh had unlimited power. He could choose who he wanted to sleep with. And Abram and Sarai are desperate because they know the day will come when he says, you come to my room. And then that would be devastating for them in, in every way you can imagine. 
Abram's solution to his problem of a beautiful wife was backfiring because he didn't trust God to solve the problem that he had. <laughs> the problem of a beautiful wife. Apart from the wife problem, Vicki Nathan, can you think of similar scenarios when Christians today find it easier to trust God with their eternity than the issues of everyday life? You know, just this last weekend, it was Valentine's Day, and uh, my congregation had been saying, are we going to get a Valentine's Day message? And I'm preaching through Acts, and I don't like to take breaks for things like that. And so I did give them one, because it so happened that James was martyred uh, in the text. <laughs> and, uh, and and so we talked about martyrdom and, and being faithful to Christ, no matter what. And And sometimes it's easier to think of, well, I'll give my life up for Christ but it might be harder to maybe lose your job for him because mm. you refuse to follow the ethics of your company. Mm -hmm. Or it might be harder because you lose a relationship with a loved one because you believe in Christ and you are winsomely sharing the gospel, but they don't want to hear it. Mm. Uh, it might be harder if you're passed up for a raise uh, because you are seen as a Christian and uh, and that's just not um, not something acceptable within the culture of your organization. I, I think those are t times where it's just as hard or, or your kids are going to, you know, they're going to suffer. They're not going to have as much stuff or you're going to have to live in a smaller house or you have to change your communities. That's really hard to be faithful to Christ when you know it's going to hurt you or your family in the long run. And I don't know if I'm going to have enough money for food or, or heating oil or whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to people uh, through the years in the churches I've pastored with that uh, some were desperate for marriage. They desperately wanted someone to uh, to spend the rest of their life with, and there's nothing wrong with that. The way they chose to go about getting that was, uh, well, yeah, it wasn't proper. And uh, they just didn't trust that if God really wanted that for them, that he would make that possible. And um, led to a, a lifetime of regret. I met a man who um, uh, trusted God for his salvation, like us, but he had a mortgage to pay. Didn't know how he was going to do that. And it was possible for him to uh, borrow the money for that month uh, from his company, and he did that. But the solution he thought was coming didn't, and he had to borrow the next month too. And you know, can guess the end of the story. And that was devastating. There were other options, but that was not the right one. It's sometimes it's easier for us to trust God with our eternity, but not necessarily for our today. <laughs> the irony is, in this story that we've been reading in Genesis chapter 12 about how it ends. In verse 17, when Abram had no solution to the problem he himself had created, we read that God stepped in. In verse 17, we read the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. So God told him. God got his attention. And he said to Abram, why have you done, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So God, God intervened in ways only he could do to rescue Abraham from his self-inflicted problem. His life didn't solve the problem. It made the situation worse. And you gotta know, as he walked away from Egypt with a bruised ego and uh, wounded marriage, you got to know that he knew that the God who had rescued him could have met his need without all that grief, if only he had trusted him. 
Now, this is a part of Abram's learning curve in faith. He's trusted God with the big issues. Can he trust him with the small one? And it's our part of our learning curve as well. Nathan, Vicki, as always, we want to bring this passage to life, to our lives. The challenge today is to have enough faith to trust God not only with our eternal destination, but with the details of our lives. How can we do that? Well, Nike has a good suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> just, just do it. Just do it. No. It's, it's incredibly hard. I think one of the things that I have found helpful is to talk to God regularly. You know, when you're um, with your spouse and um, you're driving the car, you just kind of talk about all kinds of stuff. And uh, that makes conversation easy. I find the same thing with God. If I, if I make sure that I'm spending regular time talking with him, conversing with him, sharing my life with him, as, uh, as I do with my wife, it makes those small things in life come up. And it's amazing sometimes after we've had a conversation later in the day, something will come to mind. You know, oh, well, that might be a solution. I wonder if I could do that. I wonder if that's not God answering. I wonder if that's not God coming back to me and saying, look, there are resources you're not aware of that I can plug you into. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, the things that I talk to him about and the things that I'm wrestling with, uh, sudden, something changes and they go away. Was that an answer to prayer? Yeah, I think so. Sometimes we have not because we ask not. The more often we, I find myself in regular conversation with God, the, um, the easier it is for me to bring up the things of today and tomorrow, not just eternity. And together we can uh, work through them. One of the passages that I find so helpful is in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talked to his followers. And he knew that they were also concerned about the details of life. Not just the, the sweet by and by, but the nasty now and now. So he said to them in Matthew 6, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? Or why do you worry about clothes? Ah, God clothes the grass of the field. Will he not much more clothe you? And stop worrying about what shall we eat or what shall we drink. The pagans run after all those things. Your heavenly Father knows you need, you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We have a heavenly father who cares for us. And as any good father wants to provide for all the needs of his children, so God looks after us. Jesus is your God as well as the God of Abraham. And he not only promises to go and prepare a place for you in heaven, but to help us today as well. Your faith not only helps you in the sweet by and by, but also in the nasty now and now. And never forget that the psalmist was right when he said, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. We have a challenge to expand our faith to not only trust God with our eternal destiny, but also with the details of our lives today. I trust that today's discussion of God's Word has been helpful 
and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more about this educational, nonprofit organization, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by rating it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're enjoying it. Be sure to listen next Friday as we continue our discussion of the book of Genesis and discover what we should do when God unexpectedly blesses us. You won't want to miss it.